than a mile I'm crossing you in style Someday Oh dream maker you heart um, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea right? the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness in the beginning of God's creation I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When I was in eighth grade, I was at my friend's dad's birthday party. It was at like some line dancing place across town. And I went to hang out with him. And while we're there, we're like playing pool or something. And we looked over, and uh, these girls kind of kept looking over at us and winking. And, you know, in eighth grade, you have no idea what to do with that. So uh, my friend's like, hey, they're checking you out. What do you think? And I'm like, man, this is a humongous, like, self-esteem-building moment. So I'm, like, all uh, puffed up, thinking wonderful about myself. And uh, about... Ten minutes later, one of the girls starts walking over, and I'm like, wow, not only do they think I'm cute, like, they're going to come over and, like, talk to me. This is, like, the greatest day of my life. And so this girl walks over and looks at me, and she's like, hey, what's up? Da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, we, 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 you guys are nice and cute and what all, but your, um, your fly is wide open. And my friend turned and looked at me and died laughing, and I wanted to leave and die. Because there's nothing worse in life than being caught in a lack of awareness. I mean, our fear is so great. It's made us obsessed with these things like the Enneagram. You know, we initially are strangers to ourselves. It takes work to learn yourself. In some places, we'd rather not explore it, though. It's, it's like we, it's why we are so sensitive to feedback in life. Let me just keep pretending. It's a strategy that at times can make the world work for us, but it's spiritual cancer. It can be killing you, and you don't even know it. See, Jesus comes in this letter to the Laodiceans as the Amen. He's saying, let me give you an objective lens on your life. Last week, we looked at uh, the entire body of letters that Jesus gives to the seven churches. But tonight, I want to focus in on this one letter to Laodicea. And let Jesus, like a skilled surgeon, consider coming into our lives to give us some self-awareness. And let's let him do that by showing us four things. One, that awareness is out there. Two, that understanding is down there. Three, that change is in there. 
and four, that healing is through there. First, awareness is out there. The first thing we need to be, the first thing we need for spiritual awareness is to become aware of what we don't typically look for. And Jesus says this in verse 15 and 16. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Literally what he says is, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Their lukewarmness made him sick. Now what does it mean to be lukewarm? If you grew up or in or around the church at all, you've probably heard this passage referred to at some point. The typical way it was applied went something like this. Hey, what's your temperature with Jesus? Are you hot? Are you on fire for Jesus? Or are you cold? You know, totally indifferent. Because Jesus would rather you not be at all, uh, would rather you not believe at all, rather than be lukewarm to him. But the problem with that is that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever remotely come close to hinting at that. And the bent of Jesus' heart is that he wants to be near us and will come into the smallest hole of your heart that you will give him. So it can't be that. So what's he saying? Well, Daryl Johnson notes in his commentary that the point of hot or cold is shaped actually by the geographical realities around Laodicea. In other words, hot or cold, it's not referring to one's spiritual temperature. It's rather referring to one's spiritual effect. And Jesus is going to use a geographical illustration to make this point. Let me explain. Historians have noted that the city of Laodicea was in the middle of two other great cities, Hierapolis, about six miles north, and Colossae, about ten miles south. Hierapolis it's known, was known for its natural hot mineral springs, which were medicinal and brought great restoration and healing. Colossae, located ten miles away, was known for its icy cold refreshing springs which were the most refreshing and reviving ones, the cold water known in that region. Both cities that had great water supplies, but Laodicea in the middle of these two cities did not. Their water had to be pumped in, and by the time it arrived, it became lukewarm, tasteless, and nauseating. So what's the Laodiceans' unaware condition? It's this. They think of themselves as thriving, drinkable water but they're actually lukewarm, tasteless, and nauseating. That is, they were not a place for spiritual healing or spiritual refreshment for anybody struggling or weary. Jesus is saying there is no restoring or reviving around you. Now, what does this teach us? It teaches us this. The worst thing to Jesus for us is if we call ourselves a Christian, masquerade everything in our life like we are one, and everyone around us experiences the exact opposite. This is why he says, I have seen your works. See, the actual measure of spiritual condition is by looking at what happens to people around you when they are around you. So often we measure spiritual condition by looking at personal habits. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. Yeah, I went to church a few times. I've been to RUF here and there, et cetera, et cetera. And we can convince ourselves that we are flourishing because of these things. But it's, it's spiritual blindness and unawareness. Because we're staring at the wrong thing while something tragic is happening to us. Uh, you, you know how a thief picks your pocket? Uh, where he gets your attention over here on this side and gets you to look and distracts you over here. And while you're looking at this thing over here, he reaches around and picks your pocket. 
See, what, what the private spiritual life can do is dominate our attention in such a way that your awareness of how you treat others is blinded. And all the while when that happens, you're becoming lukewarm and your soul is getting salt stolen. And Paul says something fascinating about his ministry in 2 Corinthians 2.15. He says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. See, a Christian is not someone who just checks Jesus on the profile question and reads their Bible. It's someone when you're around them, they smell like the fullness of life. Grace exudes from their conversations, their purpose for God. It it doesn't turn you off. It revives you. And you begin to experience what God is like through your proximity to them. I mean, if you're around a Christian, you should literally begin to experience the restoration of Christ. So here's the question. What's it like to be around you? What do you taste like? Because if you want to know the answer to that question, Awareness is not in here or inside your habits. It's out there. Secondly, though, we need to gain understanding by by seeing that understanding is down there. See, where does this condition come from? What causes it? It's the most ironic of problems. Verse 17, Jesus says this, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Now realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, what does he mean here? Well, the Laodiceans were famous throughout the ancient world for three main things. They were incredibly wealthy. Uh, they had many banks. Uh, in fact, when there was an earthquake in 60 AD, they told Rome that we don't need financial help after this earthquake. Uh, we're good. They also uh, were famous for their clothing industry. They uh, had these unique black sheep and had this glossy wool they exported all over the world. They were known as the best-dressed people in the region. But lastly, they were famous for their excellent medical school, specifically famous for their eye salve that was developed there and believed to heal weak and failing eyes. So here's what Jesus is saying. Here's why there is no restoring and reviving of people's weaknesses. Is because you are known for only one thing, your strengths. And people can't come to you with their weaknesses because you yourselves have none. The most toxic group of people to be around are the ones who have no problems, only strengths, and therefore no needs. And the irony of that is it's their greatest weakness. See, what's the danger that is keeping you from God? It's really not partying on Friday night. It's really not uh, your bad time management. It's really not all of the things that you're fleshly struggling with. You know what it really is? It's a blindness to your true weakness, leaning into your strengths. That which you have going for you is so often what is hindering you. One of my friends uh, in ministry uh, had this encounter with a guy one time who he said was just Mr. All-American. He was like Gatorade State Player of the Year, honor roll, good-looking, connected family, uh, all sorts of job opportunities that were going to wait for him after college. And they were having breakfast one day, and he said, hey, how are you doing spiritually? And the guy said, he was just like, eh, you know what, I'm just not feeling it very much right now, and I haven't pursued it at all. And my friend said, "Um, why do you think that is? And he said, you know, because I just don't feel much of a need for Christ. 
And so my friend looked at him and he said, you know what? He said, you have three things going for you right now. You are popular, you are smart, and your future is secure. But you also have three things against you right now. It's that you're popular, you're smart, and your future is secure. See, you feel no need for Christ because you have no need for anything in this world. And your strengths are what are keeping you from that. I mean, tonight Jesus is after a lot of things in your life. But what is most urgent is what's keeping you from giving your whole life to him. It's your strengths. So you think they're the foundation of your life, but they're quicksand. Now, let me apply this for what it looks like to be a community with us right now. See, there are people around us and on our campus who have problems. And most of you think you can do nothing to help them because of your own problems. You think, I'm not qualified to lead that Bible study. I'm not qualified to reach out. I don't know if I should have this role because of all of these things that are happening and going on in my life right now. And you think your problems hinder you from being a healer, but that's the ironic problem. See, the only people who can't help people with problems are those who have no problems. Your needs don't hinder you. They qualify you to heal. And if you want to have self-understanding spiritually, You're going to have to get down there to your weaknesses to see that self-awareness for who God wants you to be and who you can be for others is not up there with your strengths. It's down there in your weaknesses. See, awareness is out there. Understanding is down there, but change is in there. Verse 18, Jesus says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold, Refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself in shame, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. He's saying here, with gold, friends, get your security and status not from what the world offers, but get it from me. With clothes, cover your shame and your guilt, not with your morality, not with your personality or your reputation, but with my robes of righteousness. With eyes, he's saying, come and see the world, not through your feelings or the values brought about by this culture, but take on my eyes and see reality the way that I see it. Come and buy it. Now again, there's some ironic wordplay here in this text. Because Jesus has just told the Laodiceans they're bankrupt. So if they're bankrupt and they really have nothing, how in the world can they come and buy without any currency to buy? Almost every commentator on verse 18 says that this is a reference to Isaiah 55, where the prophet says to the people of Israel who are themselves lukewarm, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. See, how, how can you buy with no money? It's because God in God's economy, there's only one currency. Grace. It's getting something that you don't 
earned. See, the change that you need in there in order for you to get self-awareness is not ever anything that you can work for, lean into your strengths for. It's only something that you can't earn and it's given in a gift. And you know what that means? In order for you to become aware, you know what you need? You need nothing. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he puts it this way, the minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. It is all he needs. Indeed, it is the only thing he works with. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is a gift, not a transaction. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside of your control, Jesus Christ's desire that you find rest, that you come out of the storm, it outstrips even your own desire to stay away from Him. Everything that we need comes from Jesus by His grace. You see, and it cost Him everything so that it costs you nothing. What does it look like to buy with nothing? We're told here in the text, it looks like to zealously repent. Now, that scares us, because so often radical requests, they seem impossible. But I want you to pause, though, and just realize how zealous you are for things that you presently chase in this life, like status or reputation or control. No matter what it takes, you're always willing to take on in order for you to get the thing that you swear is going to change you and heal you. But Jesus is saying, listen, here's what it means to repent. It's time to admit that those things that people admire about you, those strengths that you want to define you, that you're chasing, they're killing you. They are in the way of everything. And what I'm asking you to buy, it's not a burden, it's the removal of them. Imagine it this way. If you're drowning and I threw you a life preserver, would you really say, this life preserver, Alex, how dare you give me one more thing right now while I'm drowning? How dare you give me one more problem to deal with with the problems I'm dealing with? But that's how we so often receive Jesus' offer to come by with nothing. See, it feels so costly. It feels like we can't afford it, but it's free. And Jesus is begging you to admit to not hide your weaknesses or parade them around as strengths anymore. Raise no more defenses. Simply take them to Jesus. Let your own unrighteousness and all your darkness and despair drive you to Jesus in all of his wealth, his clothing and his new eyes. And the cost for that is nothing. And you can bring your dark heart as the only transaction needed. See, change is in there. Awareness is out there. Understanding, though, is down there. Change is in there. But lastly, if you're going to be able to do that, you have to understand that healing is through there. See, as famously said, the only way out is through. Now, verse 20 is probably the most famous verse in Revelation when Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
and has been used many times in evangelistic settings to call new people to follow Jesus. And all you have to do is open your door to the heart, to open, open the door of your heart and let Jesus in. But here's the reality. In this letter, Jesus is writing to his church, see, to a people who he already loves and already has called by his name. Now, what does this mean? It means the picture of Jesus here standing outside the door and knocking is a picture of his lover who just longs to be with his bride. It's a picture of God's steadfast love for lukewarm Christians. And the overture is taken from Song of Solomon 5.2, where the bride hears the voice of her beloved knocking at the door and says to me, Open to me, my beloved. See, it's a picture of a husband waiting on his bride. See, Jesus is writing this to a bride who has waned in her love for him. He is not outside the door looking at her lukewarmness with arms crossed. No, he is begging the bride to re-enter the joyful marriage with himself. It's a picture that Jesus, his love, has never gone lukewarm for us. In fact, he promises us. Listen, if you will open the door and hear the knock and put down your weaknesses, it's not just a general admission ticket. Where he just says, okay, yeah, don't touch anything, no flash photography. He says in verse 21, to you who conquer, to the ones who will hear the knock, I will grant you the right to sit with me. He says, for all who are willing to lean in your weaknesses, look, you don't just get admitted and put in the back of the arena. You get the head table with Christ. I have a friend here who uh, lives in L.A., but his parents are from Texas. And when they come visit him, they always fly southwest because uh, southwest has this deal where uh, you, um, you don't pay for your seat, but you pay for the right to board the plane either early or with everyone else in coach. So what they do is uh, one of them buys the upgrade ticket so they can board with sort of the first class uh, audience, and the other one pays a little bit less and buys the coach ticket. And so what happens is when they get to the plane, one of them boards the plane and saves a seat for the spouse, while the spouse sort of sits out there and coach. And what John is telling us here is that Jesus Christ has gone ahead of you to save a seat. Not as some frustrated parole officer, but as your beloved bridegroom. And the minimum bar to be enfolded into that is for you to just simply open yourself up to him. It is all he needs. Indeed, it is the only thing he works with. And if you will open yourself up to him, friends, that's the beginning of life awareness. An awareness where you can welcome anything said to you done to you, to just reveal truths that already are. And you know, you find that it's out there, it's down there, it's in there, and it's through that door. The knock of Jesus, listen to it. Let me pray. Father, these words are surgical to the soul because everything in our life is built on this platitude, the strong survive. And I make it at USC and I make it in Los Angeles and I make it in this world because 
of my strengths that got me here. Father, would you would you make that knock loud to our ears so we could hear it? Lord, that we would let you in to tell us who we truly are. Father, that we could become springs of water to heal those around us, to revive and restore through our weaknesses. Lord, let us be proud of our weaknesses. Make, a, make that our community. In Christ's name, amen.